Hello and welcome to Endurance Minded. It's the podcast that aims to redefine what it means to reach our full potential by exploring how movement and mindset impacts our lives and how they can all work to show up as the best versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Taylor Thomas, founder and coach at TEC. And on this episode, I welcome Jeremy Ryan Slate to the show. He is the host of the Create Your Own Life podcast, where he studies and speaks with high performers around the world. He is also the CEO of Command Your Brand. Command Your Brand is a new media public relations agency designed to help entrepreneurs share their message by leveraging podcast platforms. He is also the author of the best-selling book, Unremarkable to Extraordinary, Ignite Your Passion to Go from Passive Observer to Creator in Your Own Life. He is uh, also a professional, uh, previously professional powerlifter. Um, so Jeremy's depth and breadth of experiences and expertise, um, suffice it to say, are wide and uh, and very diverse. And this made for an amazing conversation. Uh, Jeremy and I hit it off from the start. Tons of intersections and things we're passionate about. Everything from from athletics and sport um, to entrepreneurship to uh, what it looks like to take control of your own life. And we cover lots of different topics, but really at the core, what we talk about is how to really be in charge of your destiny. What does it look like to, to use Jeremy's title of his book, to go from unremarkable to extraordinary? How do you channel adversity and use it as strength? Um, how do you find your passions and what does it look like to follow them? Um, how do you balance your ego when you're leading others and looking to leverage your strengths and build things that are impactful and make a mark on the world? And Jeremy uh, has a, a ton of experience overcoming different obstacles, thinking about things critically and dynamically. Uh, and we lean into uh, to all of those pieces and more uh, in our conversation. And so if you're someone who is struggling to understand what it looks like in your own life to uh, to map out your path or feel like you're maybe falling short of what you'd like to be or who you'd like to be or what you'd like to accomplish. Um, if you're someone who is wondering, um, what does that path look like for me? How do I identify my passions and my strengths and what I care most about? Uh, this episode is for you. Uh, Jeremy and I uh, touch on all those things and more. We unpack the nuances of what it looks like to excel um, and to be a leader and to think differently about complex problems and the solutions to those problems. And um, we come at that from all different angles, like we always do on Endurance Minded through the lens of personal development, growth, leadership, entrepreneurship, um, physical health, mental health. And uh, because as we know, it's not just isolated to one area of our life. All of these things are interconnected as we work to uh, pursue our passions, to accomplish our goals, to show up as the best versions of ourselves and really work to accelerate the impact uh, that we make on the world. So if uh, if any of this resonates, then, uh, then this is the episode for you. As always, uh, you can find more information on everything that we talk about and support um, through the lens of physical health um, on thomasendurancecoaching.com. Uh, you can click the button in the top right corner to speak with a coach and uh, work on how you can put some of these types of things uh, to play in your own life. Uh, if you're looking for more on the leadership side of things, the business development side of things, the entrepreneurial space, um, you can contact us at impactinitiative.network. Um, we, uh, we help leaders from around the world um, solve complex problems in their businesses and do it in a way that's fulfilling and exciting. And then, of course, last but not least, rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. Um, if you've yet to do so and you're a member of our community, uh, please take a moment to, uh, to rate us, uh, to subscribe so you can get updated when we release new episodes every other Tuesday and share your favorite episode with a friend. It would mean the world to me. Uh, for those of you new to our audience, thank you for coming. Uh, I appreciate your support. And if you could take a moment to rate, subscribe, and share, uh, we would love to, uh, to have that support. So uh, thanks as always for, uh, for your support. And uh, please enjoy my conversation with Jeremy Ryan Slate.
Jeremy, welcome to Endurance Minded. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat. Uh, we were talking a little bit uh, offline about how there's lots of different places that we uh, there's there's intersections. You have a, uh, a long history and uh, as an entrepreneur and business owner, and have done uh, lots of different things. You also uh, have a history as as an athlete. So um, when I was reading your bio, one of the things that I that stood out to me was uh, that you've you've talked about how to channel adversity into strength. Um, and I know that's something that so many people deal with. And, and uh, our audience is a blend of um, folks on the leadership side as, as well as the athletic side. And there's, you know, no matter where you're coming at it uh, in life, there's always going to be adversity, right? There's hiccups and bumps in the roads and, and shit that doesn't go as planned. And so, yeah, I'm curious just what's your experience been with that and, and maybe what's your um, what's, what's that looked and sounded like for you and, and how you, how you kind of see that adversity as an opportunity? Well, I, I think when you look at it, it's, it's kind of looking at it like a blacksmith's furnace, right? Like you put any piece of metal into it, it comes out very different and you're going to beat and hammer that thing. And it's going to, it's going to come out very different when you come out of it. And I, when I look at like what I'm doing with my life now versus, you know, where things started, man, I'm on a very, very different path. I was a, a high school teacher right out of grad school and uh, started a lot of different businesses, lived a lot of life, had a lot of strange things happen. And it, it brought me to, I guess, my third business before it finally worked out. And I, I think for a lot of people, those aren't things they consider. But when I look at it, the athletic side of things, too, is, is the big thing that's made me mentally prepared to go through those things. You know, I, I was a wrestler in school. Um, I wrestled 140s, which is a really difficult weight class because most high school guys are around 140 pounds. So it's a very competitive class. And, um, I'm friends with him now, but I actually ended up getting my, my butt kicked by a, a three-time state champ and eventually a three-time national champ uh, when he wrestled at Penn state after that. So it's, it, I, it learned, I learned a lot about, you know, what it takes to work through things and what it takes to go through things. And then in my, my teenage years and into, into my twenties, I was a competitive powerlifter, man. And I feel like when people look at that, they see the weights you're doing and they're like, wow, that's really impressive. That's cool. Like, how do you do that? And everybody wants a quick fix. And for me, I always say it's about linear progression, man. If I can get five pounds or two and a half pounds stronger every week for five years, it's going to go a lot of places. So, you know, my, at my height, I'm only five foot seven, um, on a good day. And, uh, I was 217 when I competed, I was bench pressing 455, deadlifting 635 and squatting 705. Um, I'm doing nowhere near that now cause I'm about 165 pounds, but at the same time, like it's a linear progression of getting there, man, week after week after week. And, and, and that improvement to me, it made me mentally more prepared, right? Because it helped form me. And it also made me physically more prepared. And I think that's something I've brought to every single thing I've done where I'm looking at, you know, what are the right way markers? What are the things that are going to teach me I'm at least going in the right direction? Because I'm not afraid of failing, man. I will charge headlong into something that I know isn't going to work out because I look at what I can learn from it. And if you look at a lot of my career, that, that, that's how it's brought me how it's brought me, man. What was it about that? Or, or maybe the better question is, you know, how do you stay connected to that that process. Cause you know, when you, when you step back, you're like, yep, two and a half pounds a week or yeah, I'm, I'm excited about failing. This is good. But when you're in it, 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 it's, it's slow, you know, and it can be a grind. And that's what, that's what derails a lot of people is it just, it just takes so damn long to, 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 to really see progress. And so what was it about that, that just kept you excited or I don't know how to stay connected to that when you knew it was going to be slow or you knew it's going to fail. Um, what was that for you? I don't know anything else to say other than I really trust in people that have been there before. And when I was 15 years old, I met a gentleman named Bill Phillips. And at that point in time, Bill was, I think, 69 or, or 70 years old. And he holds the world record for, for bench press for a person at the age of 70. And then he continued to pick up that record every year. And I, I kind of, I, I don't think he's competing now at this point in any time because he'd be about you know, gosh, like probably almost 90 at this point. But I learned a lot from him about the right regimen, the way you get strong. Because I think when you're young, right, like you see somebody doing that and you want to jump right to it. And that's how injuries happen or the inability to get there. But to me, I was willing to learn from somebody else that had been there and see what tools and tactics are they doing? How do they prepare their body? What didn't work for them? What did work for them? Because a lot of young guys, man, and you see this with athletes, 
injuries in the gym are one of our number one problems to actually being able to compete. When you look at guys, um, I had talked to AJ Hawk, who used to play middle linebacker for the Green Bay Packers. And I said, you know, what's different about playing in your thirties versus playing in your twenties? And he said, well, in your late twenties, you learn to talk to, listen to your body a lot more. And I think as an athlete, you don't have that early on. So if you can find somebody that's going to help you understand that a lot sooner in life, you're going to do a lot better. Like I tore my ACL at 19. Other than that, I've had no major injuries in my lifting career, but it's because I've had the right people there that I was willing to listen to. You have to be coachable, right? You have to be willing to listen to that and kind of cut that learning curve for me. And that's, that's something I've applied to a lot of areas in my life is who do I know that has done that so I can get the right input so I can cut the learning curve for myself. Where do you, what's been your process for continuing? I know you said you look for them, but what's been your process for continuing to, to find those people? Cause I, you know, we, we, we tend to think that we don't need that mentorship or we kind of that, that coach relationship as we get older, right? That's it. That's something that often is reserved for like high school and college and not even, in, you know, obviously not even in the, in the, in the athletic space, but What's been your, uh, your process for co- connecting with those people and, and keeping that part of your, your, your learning environment? Well, one part of it is actually finding those people. Um, cause I don't know how to say this, but there's a, a lot of people, especially online that are full of BS and charlatans, um, mm-hmm. smoke and mirrors. So number one, it's developing a really good bullshit meter. Um, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Can I swear on your show? I, I... absolutely please go for it. Okay, cool. <laughs> It's it's funny. I have to remember, like, some shows you can't do that. Um, you yeah. have to have a really, really excellent bullshit meter because especially online, you're going to see, like, in the online marketing space, you'll see people talk about, you know, our revenue was blah. Well, dude, it's because you brought your ad spend into that, you little jerk. Like, you know, right, your ad right. spend is not revenue, right? So I think you have to get, develop a really good bullshit meter and also surround yourself with people that also have a really good bullshit meter. So I'm in a small group mastermind where um, – it's five of us guys, and you know, it's not a paid thing. It's just something we've done for a few years. Everybody going in on you know what we're going to do for our different experiences and stuff, and we all have a similar viewpoint. So I think that's really helped because you can be like, well, what's your experience with this guy? Oh, it seems like all of you have the exact same experience with this guy, so I should probably avoid this guy. So having a really good bullshit meter is important, but also like I'm looking at what are people's statistics and what have they done and produced because people will promote themselves to the cows come home. I'm in PR, man. I get it. But you have to look at what has somebody done and produced and what do other people say about that production. Now, that's just locating people, right? Because it is hard as anything to actually locate the right people because there are a lot of charlatans out there in the world. After that, it's seeing how can I add value to that person. So for me, it's naturally been very easy as a podcaster. I can then set conversations with people where I can promote them to my audience and we can have great conversations and I can learn a lot from them. And that's actually, for me, been a central vehicle um, to connecting with those people once I know, like, okay, so who's not full of shit? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I, I love your just, you know, your, your real-world approach of being very – it sounds like you're very selective um, in a good mm-hmm. way. I mean, and not to sound critical, I, I think we – because there's, there's so much access to everyone's opinions, we, we, I see so many people try to build these – you know, massive networks and take input from all of these people that, that look and feel and sound like they know what's going on. And then you just left with this kind of like, you know, super diluted, um, you know, approach to everything, right. Versus having like your core people in your corner that you actually are in like strong relationships with that have your back. And those are the people that you can trust, like find a few of those versus, you know, 400 people that, are telling, you know, that just are whatever, trying to get something from you or, or whatever. Have you had experiences in the opposite direction where you, I was just going to say that, like I did it the other way when I first started doing this back in 2015. And here's what I found is when you actually, you would, you know, give, give, give to people and there would never be a flow back. And it mm. happened a lot, man. Like there were the, there was, there was people that would demand, 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 and it never flow back. And I was like, okay, this is really interesting. So for me, I would observe, you know, what are the things they say? What is the language they use? How do they deal with others? And that, frankly, taught me a lot. And then I focused on just working with a smaller number of people that I actually, like, really know well. And to me, there's so much more value in that than knowing 100 of the wrong people. If I know, you know, 
five or 10 of the right people, because at the same time, I can then tap into what they know to find out if these other people are worth my time. Like, I don't want to sound like a jerk, but it's like, there are so many people out there that want your time and attention and everything else. So you have to figure out, okay, which one of these is worth it for them and worth it for me, right? Because it's an exchange. Life is an exchange. And mm-hmm. I had to get better at that. And I, I made a lot of mistakes early on in that. Yeah. What's your expectation for that, that reciprocal component of, 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 a, of a relationship that is supportive? Because um, I think that's a question, you know, like, it, like if we take like the coaching space, um, you know, there's the expectation is there's a, there's a massive input on the coach's side, but I also feel like the person, the, the client isn't clear on like what that looks like coming back to them. Right. And like, you know, to your point, relationships are, are a two way street. So yeah, I don't know, I'm just, I'm curious what, what's, what's those expectations on your end? In terms of like um, how we operate as an agency or from what perspective? No, I guess no, just from like, it struck me like as you talk about relationships uh, and those people that are, that are like in your corner and you have those, you know, five core people and you say, you know, there's that, there's never, there wasn't, you had those experiences or where there wasn't that flow in return, right? Like you put out a lot, but it wasn't coming back to you. Um, what's, what's that part that's coming back to you look like? Like as you refined your process and knew who to look for uh, or knew what you wanted out of those relationships, what's your expectation for what that, that return looks like, right? Cause we can give, 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 um, especially in like, um, like you said, from like a PR perspective or media or, you know, there's so much content that we can put out, but we do want that support coming back to us. So just as someone who's been through that before on the negative and the positive side, um, yeah, I'm curious what you look for in that reciprocal return on your end. Well, sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's goodwill, right? Like, you know, like we've, I've, we've sent a lot of business to a lot of people that will never either flow business back to us or even pay us for a referral. So like that's, that's one, that's the simplicity of it as well is, is, is figuring out like, can I help you and can you help me? I think that that's also really important. Um, I would say an, another part of it is, you know, are we helping each other to get better? Um, or is, is one of us looking for the other to help them survive, right? Like when you look at a relationship is, are, are both people adding to it in such a way that we can improve together and we can get better together. But I think a lot of relationships, you can look at it, there's one person that looks at the other person almost to give them a license to survive. And I mm-hmm. think in the online world, there's a lot of that, man, because, you know, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Like you can go on Instagram right now and you can look at, you know, a hundred different accounts that have 50 or a hundred thousand followers and one or two likes on every post. And they're like, Oh, well, I have a hundred thousand followers. Like, yeah, but you bought three quarters of them. So I think mm-hmm. at the same time, it's realizing you want to create something that has value to others and you should both be creating something that has value to others. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And that's, 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 a that's so much in alignment with kind of how I, I see things. I just, I believe in like, in putting things out there that you believe in and, you know, making sure that you're in alignment with like your value proposition and your mission and vision. And then, and then, you know, aligning yourself with people that just support that in whatever way it makes sense for them, you know? And like you said, it's going to be lots of different things, but, um, well, it's, and that's, I think that's important too, because wouldn't you have somebody know upfront, this is going to be a good relationship or, you know, would you rather have them down the road say, God, I want out of this party, you know? So it's, it's to me, be upfront with who you always are. And, and actually one of the big things that we did this year is we've been in business for seven years, but we never had a brand standards manual. And that mm-hmm. was actually something we really sat down and wrote like, how does the brand think? What does the brand believe? What does the brand feel? Because at the same time, like even when you're bringing an employee on your team, like you want to know that this person is really on your team. And I think the only way to do that is to fully have documented and formatted like, hey, this is what I'm trying to create here, man. Mm-hmm. What's, um, I know one of the things that you've, you've talked about is that kind of how to, how to lead by people's strengths and how to put people in positions of, of their strengths and um, uh, when I was reading your, uh, your bios, like kind of like how to take your ego out of, out of like leadership and put people and you talked about employees and bringing people on to the team. And it, it leads me to think about that. Like with that brand standard, how do you get, what's your, what's your process for then getting people to like show up in a way that's authentic for them within those, 
those parameters and within that voice? Um, that's tough, man, because at the same time, I'm a little bit demanding in what I expect from a team member because I do want people that contribute and, you know, make this um, a group for everybody. So that's, that's one big part of it. But at the same time, you can also recognize somebody's talents. Like I've moved people around from like, you know, maybe you're not good as a publicist, but you're incredible as a salesperson. Or I actually took a salesperson, somebody I hired as a salesperson three years ago, and they're my number one producing publicist now. So you can also look at how does somebody's natural talents align with what they're doing? Because you can hire somebody that maybe they're the wrong person, but they're getting production. So for me, I'm looking at statistics as a really big thing. Like, are they doing the right amount of effort to get the product I want? Yes. Are they not able to get the product? Okay, cool. So maybe there's a process they don't get or something they don't understand. Or maybe they really love this company, but that isn't the right position for them. So to me, I'm always looking at what are the key metrics in an area that's going to tell me how are they doing. Like, for example, like for us, we want to book our clients on high quality podcasts. Well, I had somebody for a number of years that managed to hide the quality of their production by just saying, Hey, I'm booking more podcasts. And I'm like, well, that's great. But like, if those aren't good podcasts for our clients, so they're not the right fit for our clients, then what's the point? So we looked at a quality metric. Like how can we quantify how well you're doing with quality and not just your quantity? Cause quantity can hide the quality of production. So it's a lot of those different things of understanding what's actually happening in an area. So we could take a look, what is their willingness? How does it align with what the company wants? And if it aligns, okay, so maybe we need you in a different area. Maybe we need some more training. Or if it's just that, you know, you're not the right fit, we can look at that too. Hmm. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a crazy numbers guy, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. No, I'm, I'm all about it. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I love the that kind of blend. It sounds, it sounds, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, it sounds like you're working to kind of blend like metrics with, with like some soft skills. Like there's a real people's yeah. component where you're like, Hey, like, okay, we got these metrics, but you're, you'd be better suited here. Like I also recognize mm-hmm. that, or you recognize that, um, that there's a fluidity and you have to pay attention to, to people. And, um, well, uh, that's I the hardest that's- part too, man, because I think as well, like part of it is like, always working to understand people. Like the more I can learn about a person and not just like that person, but like how people operate, like how they communicate, the things they do, how they treat others, you know, what this action means about who they are. Like you have to be able to learn so much about how a person is to actually be able to see how they even operate in the business, right? Because if you don't know, okay, well, this person is doing something that's undermining all their other team members. Well, that's a problem. Or this person is, is someone that will do something to help out people that aren't even in their division of the company. But you have to know so many things about a human being and what they do and how they think and how they operate to actually even run a company. Mm-hmm. How, how has your own podcast helped with that? Because I know you're interviewing high performers and um, executives and some of the greats in the, in the world. I'm, I'm curious how that's informed, you know, different parts of your life. Um, that's tough, man, because it's also changed pretty dramatically over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I've started talking about a lot more like cultural and political topics in the last few years. And, and frankly, um, it's helped us from a couple standpoints. It's brought in team members that kind of see my worldview more, which is a big part of it. And it's also helped us attract clients that agree with our worldview more, more as well. So to me, I think that's been important, but also at the same time, it's seeing how people that are high achievers run their organizations and how they run people. Like, what are the mm-hmm. things they're looking at? Like I had interviewed um, the former CIA director, David Petraeus, and in his time as a four-star general, obviously, you know, you're an officer for a bit before that ever happens. He said that the best generals and lieutenants and people he had ever worked under were ones that would give you the shirt off their back. And I think you have to look at, are you leading people by demanding or are you leading people by working with them, working alongside them and helping them? I think that's also another thing as well. So that I've learned so much from having the podcast, like, like even from a personal development perspective, man, I hadn't spoken on a stage and I'd only spoken to high schoolers before I started this podcast. And now I've spoken on stages all over Europe, South America, Asia, and it's prepared me from, number one, having these conversations, but also the number of these conversations I've had. The most amazing personal development you can do is having a podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that I can attest to. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, um, I always say, you know, this, this 
well, any podcast, right. It's like, it's like a speaking engagement every time, right. Yes. You're, you're cause you obviously it's me and you, but then it goes out to the world and there's, you know, if that, if those same number of people are in an auditorium, you'd have a massive amount of people paying attention to you, you know, and you would, you would mm-hmm. work to, to prepare for that. Um, when, um, when you're talking to these, these high achievers on the podcast or, you know, the, these people that are inspiring you, um, like, I wonder, one of the things you've, you've talked about is how following your passion is a terrible idea, right? I know there's I know another, another nuance to that. I'll use that as yeah. like a, you know, a tagline. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just leads me to, I guess, think about that. You're talking to these people who are doing all kinds of amazing things. Maybe, maybe that's a good segue into to learning more about this, you know, how, how your, your take on passion and, and what that means for in terms of how, what you do with your life. If you're like me, you know how important it is to fuel your activities and ensure you're recovering properly in between workouts. That's where the Amino Company comes in. With their products, Heal and Perform, I'm able to access sustained energy and increased power output during my workouts, as well as recover faster and more efficiently. I use Heal for recovery. It's a 100% science-backed formula that was originally developed for astronauts to maintain muscle mass in space. Taking Heal after my training has allowed me to increase my recovery and decrease soreness, making my body feel stronger and healthier overall. This patented science-backed amino acid blend is designed to replenish your sore muscles after tough workouts. Heal's great for post-workout nutrition and is scientifically more than three times more efficient at triggering muscle growth and repair than any other protein source. Perform is my go-to for before and during training sessions. Perform has been scientifically proven to improve muscle performance, reduce fatigue and recovery times, and increase the benefits from your workouts. Perform is formulated to minimize muscle breakdown during exercise and maximize muscle growth after exercise. Since taking Perform, I've seen increases in my maximal strength in the gym as well as feel the benefits during endurance training. It provides sustained and lasting energy throughout my day without any crash or harmful side effects. I've been using Perform and Heal from the Amino Company daily, and I've seen huge improvements in both my performance and recovery. As a business owner and athlete, I'm beyond excited to have found something that helps me get the most out of my training and recovery so that I can maximize my precious training time. So right now, when you visit aminoco.com backslash EM30 and use the discount code EM30 at checkout, you get 30% off. So if you're looking to take your recovery to the next level and try science-backed products designed to boost your performance by up to three times, then visit aminoco.com backslash EM30 and use the discount code EM30, that's EM30 at checkout, to get 30% off plus a free gift with purchase. That's aminoco.com backslash EM30. Use offer code EM30 at checkout. Here, here's something I'll say. Like, you have to like what you do, right? And out of the gate, you may not love it. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. if you want own a business, you got to sell something. Because if you never sell something, you're not going to exist very long. So if you like sales, you better learn to love it, right? There are some actions you're always going to have to learn to do and learn to operate. So I think that's important. But you also have to to like what you do from the perspective of this shouldn't feel like it's painful the rest of your life. You know, I've observed, um, you know, a lot of relatives and people like that that have run businesses and done things before me. And it just seems like every day of their life is a grind. I've never wanted that. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at how does your natural ability align with an ability to make money? And I think some people look at I'm going to crochet the rest of my life. And it's like, well, that's wonderful, man. But unless you can figure out how to sell it on Etsy and do something with it, then it, it isn't something that's going to actually fund you. And I, and I think there's kind of this false thing that internet marketing has done for us, where it's this idea of you're just going to find your passion and you're never going to work a day again in your life. Well, that, that's BS, man. You're going to work and you're probably going to work longer and harder because you enjoy and see a purpose in what you do. So I think mm-hmm. if your natural purpose aligns with something you're good at, aligns with something that makes money, 
to me, that's where it really works well. And when you look at following your passion versus finding your passion, to me, following your passion seems like something you're chasing. And I don't think you're ever going to find, you're ever going to like locate that thing because you're chasing it. Whereas if you look at finding your passion, finding your passion implies you're doing things, man. I've done a lot of things that didn't work out. I've sold life insurance. I've sold personal training door to door. I've, um, done network marketing. I've done so many different things you can do because I had to find what aligns with my talent and what am I good at and what's going to actually produce money with that alignment. But I think so often we're, we're told, all right, so you're 17 years old, pick a college major. You better make this right. You're going to go for four <laughs> years. You're going to get to the end, not know what you're going to do. So you better go to college again and get either a master's, which I have and don't use, or a PhD or something like that, or, or whatever it may be. So we have this continual inflow of education that we don't know what we're going to do with, man. To me, I think life itself is a better teacher. Like, do some things. Screw up. Make some mistakes. Learn. And do it while you're young, man, when you don't have to worry as much about a family and things like that. I just, I think we're, we're just kind of all set up wrong, man. It's about working and, and doing some things. Like, some of the best jobs I did, man, were manual labor jobs because I painted houses for good 10 years through my teenage years and even through um, working through grad school. I've learned so much about hard work and the value in it. I've learned some skills that my wife even has me employ at home sometimes when she wants to work painted. <laughs> but I think there's so much value in learning the real value of hard work, and that'll teach you more later in life when you're figuring out, okay, so how do I do this smarter rather than harder, right? So I think it's, there's an intersection of so many different things here. I, I could go on forever on this. Yeah, I love uh, you brought up the the kind of pressure of the timeline that we put on people, you know, is it like, yeah, okay, here, you know, the, the, I'll, I'll put, you know, I'll put this in quotes, but it's like the path that you're supposed to take is you get out of high school, you go to college, you said, you better, by the time you, you know, your sophomore year, like you got to dial in the rest of your life, like pick a major that you're going to use and you get, it's going to help you get a job. And you're like, you're like, Jesus Christ, like you're 19 years old, you know, like what, what are you, you know, I, I hope is your major going to exist, right? Like, you know, I'm, I, like how many people that are doing AI now went to school for it? You know what I mean? Like there are right. so many things that just aren't going to exist, but people are getting degrees in it that are going to cost them 50, a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. What, what, what can we do? I mean, you talked about, you know, being okay with failure, and that, that certainly feels like part of the equation for, for you know, we're, we're trying to, what people are trying to do is set themselves up so they don't fail, right? So they get into a job and they find that path and that security and then hopefully that carries them out for the rest of their life and then they can, they can you know, ha- happily ever after or whatever. Um, you've, you've just described what is the, is the actual trajectory, which is, you do all kinds of things, probably, many of which are not going to stick, some of which you're going to hate. And hopefully, as you continue to accrue skills and, and put yourself in positions, you can find something that you like and you're good at and you can use it to make money. That seems like a much more you know, yes. productive and likely scenario. That's certainly been – I've done all – I mean, Jesus, you know, I've done all kinds of things. Um, and, and, I, and I will continue to do things. You know, I think that's, that's, Mm -hmm. we have to be open to that continued growth, but I say all that to, to highlight that there is an opportunity to make peace with, with failure or the fact that just some of those things are not going to be the the solution. And so what's been your approach to just being okay with that? Um, Because, because that's what stops a lot of people, right? They stay in shitty jobs that they hate. Um, or they're not, they're afraid to take that next step or start that business or whatever. So what's that, what's that for you? Um, I had the blessing of being bullied through grammar school and high school. And I say that (laughs) because you don't effing care about anything and how people feel once you've had that experience. Um, I was listening to, um, to James Lindsay talking about this recently. He goes, I think he goes, I think we need to bring bullying back a little bit because at the same time, like you, we kind of care way too much about what other people think and other people's opinions, and that affects how we do things. I don't give two Fs, man, because like I, I've had to deal with that when I was a kid, and I think at, at, at a point in time, you have to just decide that doesn't matter. Is what other people think about what you do, are, are they going to die for me? No. Then why would I live for them? So it doesn't make any sense. So I think you have to kind of be okay with that to a certain standpoint. And I'm not saying like, hey, we should be out there bullying people, but I'm saying like, 
having a tough skin is really important. And I think for a lot of us, you know, we've lived our lives in bubble wrap and on pillows. And unless you've had to kind of deal with real adversity or deal with, you know, people that don't agree with you or people that don't share your viewpoint, you're going to give up easier. You're going to be willing to do less. You're not going to work as hard. So I think at the same time, pressure, pressure is a blessing. It is a blessing because you will be able to handle way more than anybody else. You're going to be able to work harder than anybody else, work longer than anybody else. And at the same time, you know, I also think how our school system is set up doesn't serve people, man. Because if you look at how our school system is set up, it's, it's based on the Austro-Hungarian model. So that means it was built to make soldiers, and it was also mixed in with the Industrial Revolution. Soldiers and factory workers is what our, edu- our education system is set up for. We don't really need many soldiers and factory workers now. So what we really need is more apprenticeships, more ability to work in a career, see if you like it, get some experience, take those things and take them somewhere else and see what you're going to do with it. So you need to care less about what other people think and find more ways to get hands-on experience. Because if you even look at, I have a lot of friends, um, I went to Catholic college, I have a lot of friends that went in the seminary. Some became priests and some didn't. Because people don't consider the purpose of the seminary is not just to make you a priest, but it's discernment. Do I want to do this or don't I want to do this? Yeah, I probably shouldn't do this. Or yes, I should. And it's the same thing when you're looking at skills you're building and careers you're going into. You know, if you get to the point like, like where I did, where I'm like, all right, I'm a school teacher. This is the thing I would always want, always wanted. Dear God, what am I doing being a school teacher? I am not a fit here. But to get there at 25 and realize, uh-oh, I've spent a lot of time preparing for this and I failed now. We need to figure that out a lot sooner. And we need to do it through life experience, man. Yeah, we, I was reading something the other day and it was, you know, we, we're actually not, we're not, uh, we're not stressed about the, we're not stressed about the decision. We're stressed about what people think, what we think people will think about the decision that we're going to make. Right. So yes. we, we, we run around and we're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm stressed at work or I'm, I'm stressed, uh, you know, my physical health isn't where I want it to be or, you know, mental health or whatever. That's actually not the thing that we're stressed about. We're stressed about the action that would be required to change that thing and what people would think about that scenario, right? Like, oh, work sucks. I want to start a business. I want to do what are my family and friends going to think? You know, I'd like to do X, Y, and Z. What are people going to think? Um, yeah, I... I'm like you. I could go on and on. I think the I think that's important too because you have to look at like also where that viewpoint comes from from people. Because if you change or improve, they're going to have to change or improve, and that has to make them look at where they're at in their life. So it's also a fear mm-hmm. thing, and I think a lot of times you have to realize, like, there's no easy way of putting it. Like, how I'm reacting to the, to this is this my shit or is this somebody else's shit? And you're going to find mm-hmm. very often it's somebody else's shit and not your own. So. Don't worry about it, right. man. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, don't worry about it. So it brings us back to, or makes me think about <laughs> what we were talking about earlier about, you know, this kind of core group of people. So often, you know, the, 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 one of the real downsides of, of having, you know, this larger group is that those people are going to try to hold you back because like you said, it highlights what they're not doing, right? If you're moving mm-hmm. forward, if you're making decisions that are, that are productive or, or, or moving the needle or, you know, more risky or whatever, it, it makes them see that they're not doing those things. And so many people are going to try to, to hold you back. You know, we see that on the, on the athlete front is like, somebody's like, Oh man, I want to do this. I have this big goal. And then they have a training group or something that was like, Oh, I don't know. You shouldn't do that. I guess you, you know, you might get, heard or you might well the real fact of the matter is, is that they're not doing that so they just want to keep people where they're at so they can feel better about themselves um mm-hmm. yeah um well i think that's a really really important thing and i think to me i'd rather have a small group of high achievers right where we're trying to beat each other and improve like um you know i mentioned the the guy i learned from when i was younger weightlifting well my training partner um, ended up being a, a professional bodybuilder. He was an IFBB pro and he got his card and everything else. So let me tell you, if you got to compete against somebody every single week that has that viewpoint and that drive, you're either going to quit or you're going to be better. And I think mm-hmm. that's what it has to come down to. Like people have you, people you push around you should be demanding that you improve. And if they're not, they don't deserve to be around you. Mm. I love that. Yeah. 
Do you think we, what, what part of that, you know, is, is like comfort or complacency, you know, so people, people keep, you know, people don't make those decisions or they don't put themselves in those places to be pushed. Um, Mm -hmm. What's, what's that switch that we, uh, this is a very oversimplification and maybe not the best use of, of language, but like, what's that flip that, that switch that we can flip that puts us into a mindset where we, we want to be pushed, right? Cause that's like the first step is you actually have to say, okay, like I need somebody to, you know, I, I actually have to try harder, right? It's not just going to fall in my lap. Um, I don't know. What, what, what is that for you? Um, I think a big part of it's fear, but I also think a big part of it is, I'll give you, I'll tell you a story instead. I think that'll make more sense. So as I mentioned in my early twenties, I was a, I sold personal training door to door. Um, and I was an in-home personal trainer. I drive people's houses. I would work with them. And you know what I found? People didn't start working out or losing weight for themselves. They did it because they couldn't keep up with their kids. They did it because they, you know, wanted to look good for their spouse at a wedding. They, they did it because, you know, they wanted to look good in a photograph. They did it because, you know, their parents died young and they didn't want to die young. So it's fear and it's also less motivated by what they actually want. So you have to find out, you know, what is the bigger purpose here? And often when you can find like for a lot of people, you know, they don't change a lot of times until their failures in their business are affecting their kids or things like that. So you have to take a look at how much does this matter to you and how deep does it matter to you? If it's just surface level, man, you're not going to do anything. But it has to be something where that fear or where it could go is, is worse than what it will take you to get it. I, I had a friend, um, he has an enormous YouTube channel now, and um, he's, uh, he does plumbing. And he has a large YouTube channel doing plumbing. And I was like, you know, man, what was that thing that flipped for you? And he goes, I got to the point where they called me and they said, you're going to lose your business and you can't make payroll. And he said, okay, I'll figure this out. And that was the catalyst to him growing his YouTube and getting to a point where he has gets millions of views on a weekly basis. But there has to be that catalyst where what could happen to you is worse than the pain you have to go through to get there. Mm-hmm. It's like that deeper, it's that deeper why, you know, we, we yeah. it's always, we start with that surface thing. We're like, I, I want to make money. I want to look in shape. I want to right? It's always that thing yeah. at, the, at the top. And you're like, no, like it's, like that thing can, that thing will go away, right? Or that's not really it. There's some primary. Hey, people need to learn how to ask questions like my two-year-old. Um, <laughs> Daddy, where are we going? To your grandmother's. Why? Because we want to see her. Why? Like, you always got to be asking <laughs> why, man. It goes deeper. Yeah, right. What was that catalyst for you? I mean, you've had lots of, you said you had lots of hiccups and, and things along the way. What was, what was that thing beneath the thing? What was that why for you? When I was 24 years old, um, my mom had a really, really bad stroke, um, and she's still very physically debilitated today. She hasn't, you know, spoken a sentence in 10 years, and, you know, she's unable to, to move real well, hasn't been able to work or anything like that. So to me, it was seeing I wasn't happy in my job, I wasn't happy in my career, but frankly, I guess I was willing to just keep doing it, whatever, you know, because I was able to kind of pay some bills or whatnot. But to me, to realize oh shit, this could be the end of everything. You know, should I really spend another day of my life just saying, okay, whatever it's, you know, I'll keep doing this and I'll retire one day. Like, should I really keep doing that? So to me, it was almost losing a parent and seeing that parent lose, you know, much of their ability to, to interact with the world. Um, and to think, you know, that if that could happen to me, would I be happy with where I'm at? You know, it's, it's, it's tough, man, because I know like you have to have that perspective on things as well. Cause I know even being a parent running a business, you know, many times we look at it and we say, Oh, you know, my, my kids are bothering me right now, or I don't want to have to do something with them right now. And one of the things that I've often tried to do is think about if I only had one single memory left with my children and it was this moment, how could I make this moment better? And you have to think about that, man. Like, like what, if this was all you had left, what were you going to do with it? You know? And to me that that's what it was. I looked at, like, I looked at somebody almost passing away. And, and to me, that was a, the thing that moved me. I've heard it uh, described as, you know, or one of the ways to think about that sentiment is you can actually quantify like the number of times you'll have with people in your life, right? Like if you 
see your parents, like a lot of people live, you know, they don't see their parents every day or even every week. Right. So you, you see your parents a couple times a year and your parents live for 20 more years. We have 40 more meetings, right? 40 more interactions with your parents, or maybe they live for, right? Whatever that number is, it could be lower than sure. that. Be, I'm going to get, I'm going to get five more times. And I, that was really when I, when I heard it kind of mapped out like that, I was like, Oh man, you can actually like count down. Right. You're like, you know, and so how can I, to your point, like, how can I make these things more memorable? And I, I, I take that same sentiment, like into my work ethic, right? Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Like if today was it, like, how did I show up? You know, like, did I, you know, I'm not saying I knock it out of the park every day, but I try to carry that attitude into like, man, you better do something, you know, like this is an opportunity every day. As my dad says that I'm on this side of the ground, like, is is a good thing. Um, how well, does that I think it's, it's making those. I, I think it's making those things matter too. Because my 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 wife's brought this up to me before. Is my oldest is turning five, and and if you look at it, I only have six to eight good summers left with her, right? Because then she's going to have friends, and she's going to have all these things going on. Like, not to say she doesn't friends, but I'm saying like those become the bigger mm-hmm. part of your life, and then you have your family. So I think you have to look at this for even in your work life, like if this is the only opportunity I ever had for this, what am I going to do with this? Like you look at um, somebody like Tom Brady, greatest quarterback to exist in NFL history. And I'm a Packers fan, so I'm not exactly a Tom Brady Brady fan, but I admire what he's done. And if you look at it, he barely played his senior year of high school. He barely played in college because he's competing against Drew Henson. He got his shot in the NFL because Drew Bledsoe went down and he grabbed that shot and he prepared and studied and did everything he could. So are, it's, are you going to make the most of the shot, man? Because you don't know how many, how many shots you're going to get and you don't know when you're going to get them again. You may mm-hmm. never get another one or you may get five more. You don't know. And I think that's the thing you have to consider. Yeah. How, how does that inform your, your work life? Uh, especially I know you and you and your wife are, are involved in, in your business. Um, I mean, I hate the word balance, but you know, in whatever that it doesn't exist, like a, it doesn't exist. I agree. Um, so yeah, well, how does that inform how you move through your days and how it all shakes out, you know, on, on the scale across, across time? Well, frankly, I think it's easier to be in business with your spouse. Um, as long as you're somebody that can, you know, get along with your spouse with things related to business, right? Some people just can't, but I think from a certain perspective, like if we're going on a business trip, we're all going together. Like my kids have seen, you know, countries and places and things like that. So when they go different places, it's not daddy had to leave me to go to work. It's I got to go here because daddy works. And I think that's kind of cool. But at the same Mm -hmm. time for my wife and I, it's when we're making decisions, it's we're in alignment on where it's going. And I think often if you're in different careers or different businesses, that's not always going to happen. Like, Hey, we're doing this, or we're not going to go to this place because we want the business to go here. And I think that's really, really important, that level of alignment. I will tell you the thing personally I think we both have to get better with is where both people don't shut it off. And I think there is something to be said about having the ability to shut it off and kind of spend more present time with your family. But I think at the same time, that alignment is really, really important. Mm-hmm. What, what steps are you taking to try to be more present, to try to shut it off? Or, or what, you know, how does that manifest itself as like a conscious behavior? Well, one of the big things is, is setting boundaries. Like, Hey, this time of the day, we don't talk about this or uh, whatever it may be. Now, sometimes things come up, of course. It's another big thing is too, like, you know, not having your phone with you at the dinner table, like trying to set boundaries so that we can actually be present in the moment we're in because dude, it's really easy to get distracted by all these different things that are around you. And there's so much more of an opportunity to do that. But if you don't set boundaries, the boundaries are going to get set for you, right? Because life's going to decide what you what you what you get. So you have to have to decide that. Yeah, yeah. I talk a lot about being uh, proactive versus reactive, and you just like you said, those boundaries are going to get set for you, and that's that reactivity, right? You wake up and you you bounce from thing to thing, right? Like we all know people like this. It just feels like it's just this kind of chaotic. Like they can't quite wrangle everything in. And, and these things are getting established for them and they don't feel like they have lots of control over how their days go down. And, you know, like you said, things are going to come up for sure. But, um, what I'm curious, 
what those like what are those uh like action items look like for you in terms of like structuring time to to try to check all those boxes right you have family you have business you have you know physical health um what's your process for that well the one thing i've i've done is i work out early in the morning now when i say early in the morning i'm not a jocko willing 4 30 guy i just i like sleep a lot but for me you know like i'm up at 6 30 and I, I go do my weights first my my wife actually likes to go on runs with me so you know do weights first come back she'll go on a run with me and then we'll go to work from there um so getting fitness out of the way first has been really, really important. Also, this may be a simple thing, but I eat the same exact thing every day. Um, and it takes one less thing, one less decision I have to make out of my day because I know what I'm doing, how much of it I need, how many Costco runs I got to make to get, you know, 25 pounds of chicken and stuff like that. Um, so I, I try to minimize the number of decisions I have to make. And that's, that's, I think, important as well. We've also decided, you know, like, hey, five o'clock, unless there is a giant emergency happening, we're done. We have dinner. We spend time with the kids. So I think it's just deciding what those things are. I'm not perfect, man. Like, I'm definitely not perfect. I'm not somebody that's like, you know, I get up at 4 a.m. and I read 12 pages of a book and then I do my meditation and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, man, I, I get up, I do my weights, I eat, I spend a little time with my wife running and, you know, it's, I'm writing my, my production for my day, but so it's, I don't have any crazy systems, I guess, set up for myself in a lot of ways. I think sometimes people do that because, I don't know, they want to seem cool. Like everybody wants to talk about ice baths right now. You know, I, I don't right. see the use for putting an ice bath in my home. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got these, like, that's the new hot thing, right? It's these convoluted, like, routines, morning routines that take, yeah. you know, four and a half hours. You got to get up at two in the morning and you got to, you know, read 14 chapters and then you got to, meditate and sauna and ice bath and you got to work out and then you got and by the time you know it's like okay now it's 11 o'clock i can get started with my day and um <laughs> it's it's refreshing to hear to hear you uh, take a much my, more my, re- realistic approach in my mind. you know i'm like i got shit to do man. my friend like, tony watley who uh he's actually uh he's in my mastermind um that we're in a mastermind together and um he um he's probably one of the best coaches that i know um for how he works with people and he always likes to say your favorite influencer didn't get successful by doing weird shit. They got successful and then started doing weird shit. So copying them is not <laughs> going to make you as successful as them. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and they, yeah, like they have the, the time now for the four hour boarding routine because they have, you know, a scaled business running behind them and people that are, you know, but it took, what they don't show you is the decade it took to build that business or, you know, whatever the construct is. Yeah. Um, I, I had spoken to a coach, like when I first kind of started going through all this like entrepreneurial journey, and I, I will be honest, like I did grind a lot of this out on my own. It probably would have better served me getting a group sooner. But I remember having this consult with this guy and he's like, well, you need 10 hours of sleep a day. So you should probably not get up until nine every morning. I'm like, What? How am I going to do anything like not getting up until nine every day? Like, I'm sure it's nice to be rested, but sometimes you got to hustle a little bit, man. <laughs> yeah. I do think we get in our own way too. You know I mean? It, it makes me think of a good, you know, we get so like scared if one day doesn't go right, you know, like some days mm-hmm. like you can be tired and be fine. Right. Like you can have, you can have a, a tough week. Like, you know, I was just on the road last week, like three different States in five days. Like, was it ideal? Did I nail it? No. Like I was burning the candle at both ends. I didn't get, but I exercised every day. I had full work days. I still, you know, like it's fine. Did, did, was I optimal? No, but I, I can come back home and catch up on sleep and I'll be okay. Um, we get so worried. Like when one day, you know, like, it's okay. You can, you can be tired. You know, it's not, it's not ideal, man. but that's, yeah, that's like, life, right. Yeah. It's like 80, 20, right? Like 80% of the time, aim to be to feel good and then there's gonna be 20 percent where you feel shitty and that's okay too yeah. um yeah what um I, I i feel like we're it's all kind of revolving around one of the things you've talked about is how to be a creator in your own life and kind of take mm-hmm. charge of that i'm just can you expand on that given kind of everything that we've talked about i feel like we've maybe touched on some of those things but i'd be curious as to tie it all together with that that topic yeah, because if, if you look at it, right, like creating is a it's it's an active thing, right? It's causative, right? Like you're creating, you're doing something. And I think life to break it down to its simplest thing, man, it's cause and effect. 
Um, you know, if you're not causative, life's going to be causative to you, right? So it's like, wouldn't you rather be the cause point, good or bad? So I think many times it's about moving forward, making a decision, decide what you want and what you don't want. And what you do can be cause and what you don't do can be cause. So you have to take a look at how can I be causative in every situation? And when, when you look at that, the scariest thing is realizing you're fully responsible for your life. But the most empowering thing is realizing you're fully responsible for your life. Because when you realize that, you can actually do something for it. It's not the government that's going to do it for you. It's not your neighbor. It's not your friend. It's not you didn't have the right um, person in your company, whatever it may be. It does come down to you. And if you are willing to find what your cause point is, okay, so that didn't go right. Okay, what can I learn better? How can I... Um, locate a better marketing program? How can I find a better person? How can I sell better? When you're looking at how can I constantly improve, that's creating, man. That's putting it there. It's not letting life happen to you. You have so many people that all their life, they've always been passively kind of going through it and they get to uh, you know, a certain age and they're like, you know, look what life has given me or look what life has done to me and they're not very happy with it. Well, you made that decision, man. You causatively let it happen to you. There's a a Mark Twain quote, um, and I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize, but Mark Twain's dead, so he won't care anyway. Um, that <laughs> all men die at 27 and they're put in the ground at 72. Because you know what? When your dreams are done and your ability to do anything about it is done, you're dead. And that, I think that's what it comes down to. So good or bad, be willing to be causative in your life. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. Um, what, I mean, again, what's that, what's a tactical step? I mean, you know, what, what can people do to recognize that? Cause there, there is, I agree with you, but then there's also the very real fact that, that most people aren't going to take that next step, right. Or, or they're, they're not going to be introspective or they're, they're scared to be introspective enough to say like, Oh man, this is on me. You know, I've been saying like, I got to, my job sucks or my family or whatever the thing is. Um, what, what's the shift? Is there an inflection point or something that, that, that people can, can move on or focus on to actually get, get out of that and start to, to move in, in a direction? I would say worry less about how you feel and worry more about the data. Meaning like, um, you know, if I didn't take enough you know, actual action. Like, let's say I know that I need to get a sale, but I take two phone calls. Well, you obviously didn't take enough action. So to me, I would take a look at what things can you statisize about what you're doing? Because so many people are like, oh, I feel like blah, or I feel like blah. I can't quantify your feelings. So to me, like I look at things I can quantify, measure and control because I can improve on that. So I would look at when you're trying to achieve something, no matter what it is in your life, you know, what are those key metrics? What are the key things you can notice about it? What are the different things? Like, sure, I'm, I'm not saying feelings don't exist, but I'm saying so many times people try to operate in their life by how they feel about things. And sometimes your feelings are good and sometimes they lie to you. So you need to look at data and you need to find out how you can quantify things. So to me, I'm always looking at how can I quantify what I'm doing? That's why I love the gym, man. I'm that crazy little bastard with his notebook that writes down everything. And, you know, yeah. like, sure, I did five reps, but that last one was a half rep. So I need to write that down because I can improve on something I can quantify. It's very, very hard. And I get it like relationships. I got lucky. I'm not the, you know, but I will say outside of my, uh, my marriage, I'm not the best relationships person because I'm more about quantity and I know relationships are more about, um, you know, feelings, but to me, I'm looking at things I can put, um, numbers on cause I can improve those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think, um, I talk about that a lot with like the difference between like motivation and discipline, right? Like motivation is a feeling mm -hmm. and it's great when it's there, but it's not something you should rely on, right? Cause it will also let you down. And so developing actual skills, things that you can come back to, to your point, like a data set say, yeah, I know that if I show up in the gym four days a week, I get better. Here it is. Right. No matter how I felt, I showed up and now i I'm, I've improved. I feel better. I'm stronger, right? You know, and that could be with any discipline. Um, yeah. So I, I guess to, to round us out, um, what, you know, what, what's your advice for, for people that, that want to take that, that step or feel like they're help, they're being held back or they got dealt, dealt a shitty hand or, um, whatever that sounds like for, for any individual, they're not, they're not being, you know, 
taking action and, and having that positive impact in their life. Um, what's your, what's your advice for those, th- those folks to, to get moving in a direction that's, that's empowering? Well, I would say like thought is primary to everything in your life, right? You want to move your arm, even if it's a millisecond, your body thinks about it, right? Like it, it happens. And for a lot of people that, that feel that way, they don't have a real finite goal and why they want to do it. So I think to me, I would figure out, you know, where do you want to send your ship rather than kind of drifting out there in the ocean? So decide what you want to do, decide why you really want to do it, and then figure out, does it hurt bad enough to do it? And if it does, figure out the steps you're going to take to get there. But I think for a lot of people, there's like, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to quote my daughter Emerson again, but daddy, why? Right? Like, I just (laughs) think you're never asking yourself why or knowing where you're going. And you look at it sometimes like even, even why I was a teacher, why was I a teacher? Because my parents wanted me to be a teacher. Did I want to be a teacher? No. And I think so often we're not setting our own goals. So we get stuck with the goals of others. And because of that, we're not headed anywhere, man. So you got to decide where you're headed before you can actually put an action plan in. And many times, you t- I, I, okay, if you want to say something, I would say, take a look at where you are in your life and ask yourself, is this the goal I had for myself or who does this goal belong to? And I think if you mm. can start to take a look at who the goals you're running belong to and you find they're not yours, well, that's a great place to start. And then I would say, where do you, you know, what goal do you actually want? And it can be something small, but you got to start somewhere and take a look. Are these goals and hopes and dreams, are they mine? And if they're not, you got some thinking to do, man. I love that. That's uh, that's awesome. That's a, that's a powerful place to end on. And um, yeah, thanks, Jeremy. This was a blast. I appreciate your time. Hey, thank you so much for having me, man.